You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, December the 13th. It is still pretty chilly here in TW11. Not as cold, however, as it was yesterday. There's just a sign maybe that things might improve a little bit weather-wise. During the course of this show, I'll be talking to some of the trainers who've got eyes on big prizes a bit further down the line. Paul Nichols with his King George trio. I'll be talking to Peter Farhi about one of the Welsh national fancies, the big dog. There's some alarming, alarming news from Racecourse Association Chief Executive David Armstrong about the way in which racecourses are going to be hit by the cost of living crisis allied to um, stems in their revenue streams, which could mean a big plummet in prize money for 2023. Uh, We'll also be hearing from John Blake, who's running the Racing Together seminar in February, and Peter Hocknell, um, the Supremo of Shade Oak Stud, is this week's Weatherby's Bloodstock guest. But we need to take stock of what's happening uh, as regards the weather for this weekend's big fixture at Ascot. Latest now from Clark of the Course there, Chris Stickles. Well, we've had minus three overnight, um, which was colder than the night before, which was only minus one. But uh, on Sunday night, we did have some, a little bit of snow. So there's a light dusting of snow this morning. Uh, still uh, minus three last night. The forecast actually is for only for, for minus one to minus two tonight and, and maybe a bit milder during the day today than yesterday and Wednesday. But we do need it to thaw more than is probably forecast, really, Um for, for for us to have a, a realistic chance on Friday. I think there's more chance for Saturday because there's more chance of milder temperatures on Saturday. But uh, at the moment, I, I, you know, my feeling is that we do need the, we do need the weather to be better than is currently forecast in order for Friday to be possible. OK, but there is still a slim chance for Saturday because we were sort of busy writing off the whole lot yesterday. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it... it Look, it, it, it wasn't as frozen as, I, you know, it is still frozen in places, but it, I was probably expecting it to be worse this morning than I found it. Therefore, it's given me a glimmer of hope. But, you know, the next 24 uh, to 48 hours will tell us a lot more. All right. That's the situation in the UK as regards to the major fixture this weekend. Jane Mangan is with me today. Jane, I, I realise we're just sort of turning into weather reporters at the moment. What's the deal in Ireland? Are we going to get this Punchestown fixture on ever? The plan is uh, to reschedule from Monday. Punchestown seem to be optimistic that that is doable. Uh, I was standing at Cork on Sunday, obviously very grateful that Cork were able to go ahead with uh, all the work that they put in. I've never heard of a track using uh, fans blowing hot air at the ground to try and stop it from freezing. Have you? That uh, was never, quite never. I've, I've, way. I've heard a lot of hot air on a race course, but I'm not sure I've ever seen any. Yeah, well, we uh, we had slow ground and safe ground on Sunday for the return of Renergamine, and I was standing there thinking, could we have thought about moving the John Durkin to Cork? Would that have been an option with these horses? We know the top horses have a schedule for the season mapped out well in advance, but hopefully Punchestown will get the green light for next Monday and we'll get to see the likes of Gallop and Deschamps return. But as it stands closer... I'm supposed to be in Nace on Thursday for Racing TV. That is looking unlikely. It 
parts of the track currently unraceable and they're having well they'll take declarations today for Thursday they'll have an inspection tomorrow at noon which I think looking at the long-term forecast it will struggle to pass um and the weekend the weather forecast is likely to abate then so we might have a chance for Navin at the weekend so over here it's it's just still frozen solid um but it will it will give way and hopefully it'll give way in time to see the return of the John Durkin and all those good horses uh, Jane, yesterday, proof again that uh, all weather doesn't necessarily mean it when you've got conditions like this. What happened at Dundalk? Dundalk ran one race yesterday just after 2pm and uh, the jockeys came in and expressed their concerns over visibility that despite wearing two pairs of goggles or more, the freezing fog was essentially making it hazardous for their sight and uh, their, their goggles were freezing up. So, well, uh, they felt it was good enough to carry on before racing the freezing fog came down Larkin where the clerk of the course said it worsened as they started and uh, they made the call after the jockeys expressed their concerns to the stewards after the first race most disappointing because a lot of people and most horses would have been on site but uh, obviously safety comes first so that's the all weather factor taken out but of course there will be all weather racing there uh, on Wednesday and Friday and hopefully that freezing fog won't be an issue Okay, we're hoping that this weather doesn't um, blight the Christmas program. With that sort of in mind, I put in a call this morning to multiple champion jumps trainer Paul Nichols and asked him how his team were tipping away during the freeze at his ditch at base. Yeah, fine. Um, you know, no, no different to any other week, really. It's just, you know, gallops are good, kept them going. So horses are just you know, doing normal work, just scored a load in the school. I just it's just normal. Just the the thing is, you can't prepare them to be running. You know, um, all the Christmas ones, Boxing Day ones, are all in good shape. Doing them, you know, haven't hindered them at all. They're doing just as they would normally be doing. So that's a that's a plus. It's just frustrating that you know they're, they're losing these meetings this week. Is it is it as you were as regards the King George, a brave man's game, a hitman, Frodon, all set. Yeah. Yeah, all set. Yeah, Pictor is going to wait for the Lanzarote. Not the Lanzarote, on that meeting. I think the Silvanaco Conti chase he'll go, so it'll be just those three, and they're in good shape. They're not missing anything. So, but yeah, it'll fine. And in, in, I've spoken to Harry about it a few times. He was sort of leaning towards Brave Man's game. Has he given you a, a definitive steer on that? Well, there's no point making a decision at the moment. Like, it'd be hard for him to get off that. But, you know, a lot can happen in a fortnight's time and you just want to make sure that all the horses are right before you, you make a decision because you can get egg on your face if you make the wrong decision two weeks before the race. So, um, you know, you'll sort that out with declaration time. But, um, you know, we've got everything covered. So one way or another, whatever he wants to do, we'll have a chat about it any other time. Who will ride the one he doesn't? Well, I suppose Brian, if she comes back, could ride Frodon. Um, and I know Jed and Alec and Co are keen for Sam Twiston to ride Hitman because he's obviously won the King George from Mark Landers about. Um, if, if Brian, he wasn't about. Well, then we got Lorcan in the wings who could ride Frodon. You know, none of that's not set in stone. That's just no. what is a possibility. All righty. What else are you looking at for, for Kems and Paul? Um, fabulous. Um, he'll definitely run in the Corto Star. Um, Jelena Bella was another possible, but I don't really want to run them against each other. I could leave um, um, him for another day. Um, but McFabulous, um, and then yeah, plenty of other novice hurdlers in that to go, you know, on the first day. And I don't you. Know about the Christmas hurdle with Nappers Hill, um, I'd probably go for the Ralph Hill at Cheltenham. You might, you might have to run something in the Christmas hurdle, otherwise, it might be a walkover. Well, yeah, we'll be interested to see what happens and keep an eye on things. And, you know, you know, a lot can happen with horses in a fortnight, you know, so we just, everyone will be watching what's going on. 
Uh, and just in terms of the, the the meeting coming up at Ascot this weekend, I mean, Chris Tickle's saying it's not impossible Saturday goes ahead. I mean, it's not likely, but it's not impossible. Are you going to run horses there if it does? Yeah, I'll run some. It's, it's a, you know, it's a bit frustrating for everyone, really, and with Chris as well. Obviously, they can't water the ground. looks like being as fast as it was at the last meeting. In fact, they call it now good, good to firmer places. That isn't going to change. So that restricts really what you can run. It's a good card Friday and Saturday and it'd be frustrating to lose it. Just looking at the forecast, you know, I guess it's going to struggle both days, even if, it, you know, on a massive thaw, it just looks like if it was Sunday, it would probably be all right. It's going to warm up from Sunday, but even Sunday might be dodgy. I think it's going to be next week before we get going. Uh, Paul, just in terms of the, the, those King George horses again, what, given given how they've worked over the last couple of weeks and just their well-being since they've all had a, a seasonal debut, um, what are your thoughts on how they've come forward? Uh, you know, Hitman's progressing all the time, just physically and mentally. And he was good at Haydock the other day. Different type of race, obviously, but he couldn't have done any more. We knew he needed his first run. And, you know, he, he funny, he's six years old now, rated 160, which is exactly what Clan Desabot was when he won his King George at six years old the first time. So he, he's sort of maturing. Uh, Brave Man's game obviously won very nicely. Whether uh, um, we knew we'd left plenty to work on. He looks as well as I've ever seen him look. Going nicely, so very happy with him, you know. And Frodon's come out of the Betfair Chase, went to Wing Canton, where he had a hard race, but he still picked up some place money and did well. And he's a bit fresher now, so yeah, I'm happy with them all. All right, Paul Nichols, there. I suppose the key takeaway there, Jane, is uh, a, a, another potentially big race ride for Sam Twiston Davis for his old boss on on Hitman. It, they're sort of King George and Nichols. It's the gift that keeps giving, isn't it? Yes, and running two of these top horses against each other um, is quite good. You know, you have Lom Presse in there and the King George is shaping up nice with hopefully Envoile in and would love to see Noble Yates go across uh, to see what he could do against those types. But we saw Sam Tristan Davis team up with Clander Zabo when he came to Punchestown and that was to great effect. And I would say Sam would be pretty pleased to get that call up. But not surprising Harry's staying loyal to Brave Man's game after what he did last season as a novice and what we saw of him at Weatherby last time. He seems to be better than ever. But um, yeah, Paul Nichols setting his titans against each other and I have a funny feeling Venetia Williams might have something to say about that. Right, well, what about Noble Yates? Is he going to run? Isn't he going to run? His owner is Robert Whaley-Cohen. This is what he had to say. I think the ground's going to end up being too quick. The frost is supposed to go, um, if, if we're lucky, by the 18th or 19th. Uh, the race is only a week later, and it would absolutely have to have biblical flooding-type rain to make Kempton suitable ground for him to make the trip over. So, I can't see that happening. So I think my expectation is we're not going to run. Okay, that it, it, was there a bit of you that wanted to run, or, or not really, or is it not really something you? We wouldn't, we wouldn't have entered and left him into the stage if we hadn't sort of thought it was a possibility. And after many clouds, it was definitely still on the horizon. But it's just weather has not uh, enabled that to happen. And what's the what's the contingency? Do you think if he doesn't run in the King George? The, plan, the, the, the next plan is to, we only really want to run it once more before he goes to the. We are going to go for the Gold Cup. Um, so that's uh, uh, absolutely on the agenda. Um, and, and this year, as you know, there's a month between uh, Cheltenham and Liverpool, so that's helpful. Um, and uh, uh, we are eyeing the two the two possible races, which are the um, a race at Lingfield on the 22nd of January and the Cotswold Chase the following Saturday. Owner Robert Welly Cohen expecting not to run Noble Yates in the King George, but eyeing up an audacious Gold Cup Grand National double, perhaps with Lingfield uh, en route. 
And Linkville also been mooted as a possibility for Protectorat. That would be quite something if if they got them. They're competing directly with the Cotswold Chase, it seems, for the same pool of horses. That's a story for another day. What about the Welsh Grand National? Coral Welsh National, big betting race over the Christmas period and a big Irish challenger in the Big Dog. How has he come out of the Troytown Chase? Here's his trainer, Peter Fahey. Yeah, look, he's come out of it. He's come out of it very well. We're thrilled with him on the day. Like he, I think he put up a very good performance, and the way he's come out of the race is even is even. I'm, I'm thrilled with him. You know, he's he's in good nick and he's fresh and well, and we're looking forward to getting them getting them over to the UK then. Yeah, and although this is a race which needs you know quite often a, a hard knocking horse, it's always good to have a little bit up up your sleeve. Do you still think you've got a little bit to play with handicap wise? Um, look, I th- he he won snug enough in Navan. And the Irish handicapper gave us ten pound, so we're actually kind of well in off our English mark because we're only carrying a four pound penalty for winning the handicap. So it actually it looks it looks like we're, we are well in on the day. But look, at, I think we need an awful lot of luck. There's a lot of jumping around here. We need a lot of luck. But um, look, at, I think I'm going over the horse that has a great chance. Yeah, I mean, last year didn't work out, but that was hardly that was hardly his fault. Do you do you see him as just a horse who is an out and out? Grinder, or is he a bit more dimensional than that? I think I think he is. He, he stamina is his whole, his whole forte. To be honest, um, he he jumps he jumps adequately. I can't say he's a brilliant jumper. He gets from A to B. He doesn't lose much in doing it. He gains a length at the odd fence. But um, look at I think the whole thing about him is is he, he stays he stays very well. He's in abundance of stamina. And and the guys that own this horse, a wonderful interview on on RTE after he, he won the other day. Uh, how much pleasure does it give you to to train for people who take clear and abundant joy out of out of this journey? Ah, it is. Look, it's great. Like the Kellys, like we, we this this horse has been a family horse for the for the whole Kelly family, and like for their dad to have their first winner with him. He's passed away since, and for him to be going on and winning these big prestigious races, it's brilliant, and it gives you it gives you an extra thrill. Like it, it means a lot to him, as it does every owner. But I think they get, it's a little bit more special to the to, to the Kellys. Um, I forgot to ask you who was going to ride him. Moment, it, it, we're thinking for Keaton who would be, be coming over to ride him. That was Peter Farhi, Jane Mangan, a horse you're very fond of. I think a horse everybody's very fond of, the big dog. Uh, do you think there's a another big prize in him? His trainer seems to. Uh, absolutely, and he puts up a good case as for the numbers and that he's well enough. He's current English mark, and he's just a stamina horse. I fancied him for the race last year when things just went wrong for him and he was pulled up early, but he's a horse that will relish those types of conditions, and if he can get into a jumping rhythm, he will be hard to beat. But you need a lot of luck, as Peter mentioned. I'm looking at the market at the moment, and Benicia's quick wave is at the top of the market. The galloping bear is the fancy for a lot of shrewdies. Um, I, I heard a guy tipping him up yesterday, a guy that I would... Uh, respect an awful lot when it comes to punting and uh, ask me early in there as well for Harry Fry but the big dog has won a couple of big pots the Munster National this year the Irish Grand National trial last year under Jamie Codd and uh, most recently of course you mentioned that Troy Town win he's, uh, he's just one of those national type horses and I think he's gathered a big following over here because the Kelly family are very likable people. They're very passionate about their game. They've been offered money for this horse and they've stayed loyal to him and, and, and kept him. And uh, I suppose Peter and Burfahi are a big story as well because they're not a superpower, but they're very effective at what they do. And to win a big pot like this would mean a lot. Now, with the cost of living crisis tightening its grip and likely to intensify beyond the Christmas and, and New Year period, what impact is that likely to have on Britain's racecourses, particularly as the revenue that they're generating is under threat 
in all sorts of, of other ways. The Chief Executive of the Racecourse Association, David Armstrong, is with me now. I, I really, really don't want to spend every day being a doom monger on this podcast, David, but how concerned are you, just looking at the overall picture, that, that all the racecourses in the, in the UK can, can survive the next couple of years? Well, I think the, the, the pressure we're under now is, is very intense, and we'll see that particularly coming through the rest of you know, this financial year and into next financial year as well. Um, I think racecourses will find ways to get through the crisis, as they have done with COVID and other things that have come before. But probably right now, the pressure is even greater than during that time. But let me explain why that is. We're in a position where costs are rising. We're all aware of that. We all read headlines about it every day in the newspaper, on television, what have you. And that's, of course, true of racecourses. And just to give you an example of just how extreme that is, utilities are an area that are, of course, attract a lot of attention. And in the case of utilities, an example of that might be, you know, one large racecourse group is seeing their annual bill rise from £2 million this year to £8 million in 2023. It's a £6 million increase in just one cost line in the P&L. Other examples come from business rates, where business rates are increasing by an average of 30% across the country. Food and beverage prices up 15 to 20% cost of employing people up as well so every cost line is growing but racecourses are facing a sort of double whammy because they can't uh, raise their own revenue levels to correspond to that as you would normally do for example in any other business so betting income is of course a key source and translated into media rights income and it, it, the, the the bookmakers are under just as much pressure as anyone else we're seeing reported um, revenue figures for bookmakers falling and that translates into a direct pressure on the race course so if anything race course revenues from media rights would fall not rise and then the other key source of income of course is the ability to increase prices to the customer to the race score but that's already a difficult area for us race score numbers are down it's been well publicized race scores are typically spending discretionary income to come racing which they may or may not have readily available in the period where we're in such a great financial crisis. So racecourses face this double whammy where revenues can't grow. If anything, they're coming down. Costs are increasing, and that puts us in a more difficult position probably than we've ever been in, certainly in my time involved, and certainly, I think, much worse position than COVID. David, there will be alarm bells sounding within so many listeners who will be thinking, is David Armstrong trying to get ahead of the game and trying to preempt racecourse announcements that they can't honour their, their prize money commitments? Well, I think, I mean, where commitments have been made by racecourses, of course, they will be able to honour them. But what we'll see in the, in the period, talking about the prize money for 2023, and it will be extremely difficult for racecourses to be able to maintain the same level of prize money as they have. Part of that, of course, is driven by the fact that uh, one of the key sources of prize money, of course, is levy income. And your listeners will be familiar with the fact that levy income is going to be lower in 2023 than it was in 2022. So that has an impact. Another source of revenue for uh, paying for prize money, of course, is entries. And we know that field sizes are under pressure, so the number of entries is lower than it was before. So it'll be very, very difficult for racecourses to match their prize money in 2023 to the levels they had in 2022 because they have to increase executive contribution to do so now i don't know where certain race courses will end up coming out 
or how the groups will approach it. But certainly they'll be under more pressure than they've ever been under before. Now, of course, we've seen an announcement in the last couple of weeks from ASCOP, which is a very positive announcement about where they'll be in 2023. Uh, and they're, of course, facing some of the extreme cost pressures as well. But they recognise that they have to play in that international marketplace where their the competitiveness of their prize money is measured not only in the UK, but internationally as well. And they have the advantage, of course, of working closely with Whirlpool, which helps them grow their income as well. So ASCOT are in a great position from that point of view. I am, you know, hopeful that other race courses will be able to, you know, meet some of the same levels of prize money as they did in 2022. But to do so requires them to increase executive contribution at a time when all their costs are under pressure. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some race courses or groups having to say that they can at best keep things flat or even see a decline in prize money for 2023. Um, do you expect all the racecourses that currently exist in the UK to survive beyond 2023? Do you think there'll be racecourse closures? No, I don't think there will be. But I think racecourses will have to adjust their business models to deal with the, the, you know, the increasing costs that I've just been describing. You know, and that may well be impacts on prize money. It could well be impacts on what services they're able to offer to, to racecourses. So... You know, we'll see them adjust their business models, but I do think they'll all still be in business at the end of 2023. Uh, that was David Armstrong, Chief Executive of the Racecourse Association. Some wag remarked to me at one of the many racing functions that take place over the Christmas period that uh, David Armstrong was the uh, podcast's answer to the late Shirley Williams on on question on question time. Um, it's always good to hear his uh, hear his contributions. Uh, Jane Mangan. Um, that wasn't exactly the che- the cheeriest way to start your day, though, was it? Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> I mean, we're we're all doomed. Ugh, well, he's being honest, and he isn't being all that doom and gloom because he's he's not saying that we're all going to um, be retired at the age of whatever. But it's 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 just everybody knows this, and I suppose we're all thinking of our own situation and our own circumstance and when it comes to racing, what is racing without a racetrack and without a diverse number and portfolio of racetracks. So I see it over here with the cancellation of meetings, the loss of revenue, even I know we can say that a Cheltenham and Ascot will be fine, but you imagine the overheads that went into staging last Saturday at Cheltenham, the catering, the staff and everything in place and it to be cancelled last minute. So all of those logistics are a nightmare, but uh, we've endured a, a very turbulent period for businesses in general um but when you're a business that relies on weather forecasts to go straight forward um and and field sizes and whatnot it is it's just very tough and i think people working at racetracks are having to be a little bit more imaginative when it comes to their revenue streams and their structure and maybe having to think about a restructure Okay, tickets are now on sale for the Racing Together Industry Day, which takes place at Ascot Racecourse on Thursday, the 9th of February. BHA Chair Joe Somera-Smith is one of a diverse group of speakers from around the worlds of horse racing, football and cricket and the charity sector to tackle the Industry Day's theme, why community engagement is at the heart of racing's future strategy. John Blake is the Chief Executive of Racing Together and, and joins me now. John, why is community engagement at the heart of racing's future strategy? Well, good morning, Nick. Thanks for, for having me on. Well, I think it, it, it's immensely timely, isn't it, when the sport is, is looking at its um, at all of its strategies, from its, the commercial side to 
the ever-present need for horse welfare, that we look beyond ourselves. As, as we look at racing's people, we need to look at, at, at the wider society and how racing already does a huge amount um, uh, of, of community engagement. And what we want to do is pull together some of the great examples of what the sport is is already doing, does organically. You know, Cheltenham don't need anyone to say, give your food away to local charities when the day was off on Saturday. They do that organically and naturally, as we saw uh, during and after COVID. But our idea is to, is to get people together to talk about some of the, the strategies that are in play, to listen to other sports uh, as well, who also have a lot more... You know, they have a lot more challenges in some ways than, than we do. We'll have voices from the Premier League. Uh, the heart of cricket will, will, will be there as well. And, and, and they'll share some of their stories. And I think it's really important that community engagement is not forgotten when racing um, is taking a longer strategic view. And uh, as one way of, uh, of keeping that um, in, in the sport's eye, as it were, then this day at last. Uh, Ascot is part of that. And just very quick thanks to the RCA, the Racing Foundation, and the Levy Board and Ascot themselves for, for helping us put the day on. And, and events like this are often um, rather uh, insular events insofar as you always get the same people turning up and talking about the same things in a very worthy way. And, and you, you turn up the next year, wash, rinse, repeat. Am I right in thinking that you are trying to open this up to as many people as possible so you get as many voices heard as possible and not just the usual suspects? Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um, I, 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 I do. Um, and yes, we, we are. Um, we absolutely are opening it up. I mean, the, the provenance of this day really is a couple of days called masterclasses we had for race courses back in Aintree in 2016 and two years later at Warwick. Um, we want race courses to come to our on February the 9th, but we want absolutely wider wider groups to come, our sister charities, obviously, but sponsors, individual industry professionals. I mean, and, and one, we haven't released the full um, seminar list yet, but quite rightly, you should have some sort of exclusive on it. And one of the one of the themes that we'll be looking at is National Racehorse Week. Now, people have spoken about that for a while, of course, and people may think they know it inside out, but we, we want to be able to reflect racing's new openness that that two years of that, I think, is has really kick-started and I think it's really important that we you know we get people's experience and trainers would be an area extremely busy people of course small businesses many of them for whom community engagement might not be near the top of the uh, of the to-do list but you've seen the response um, year on year of these two years of, of, of trainers and I think if we can get some voices there we will have on the a panel that will run mid-afternoon on, on February the 9th talking about National Racehorse Week. So yes, we, we want new faces, old faces, new views, open minds. We, we, we want the whole thing really and you know, I'm very pleased that, that Joe is coming to talk um, from the BHA's perspective. We'll be talking about responsible gambling as well. We'll have some very interesting stories around that. Ascot themselves will talk about the, the work that they do with the Ascot Racehorse Supports Programme. As I said, the Premier League uh, and also cricket will be will be there as well, and diversity and inclusion as well. And we, you know, you can't talk enough about that. Um, as long as you do it in a creative way and it, it, an opportunity for people to network, I think um, it won't be same old, same old. Uh, it's a short answer to your question. Well, it is Tuesday. It's the day that we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, uh, their global stallion app, and their their stallion guide, in which for many years you'll have seen the stallions housed in a gorgeous corner of Shropshire by Shade Oak Stud that was established by David Hocknell in 1973 and is now run by his son Peter and Peter's wife Emma and they've been charged with some wonderful stallions who've been genuine national hunt breed shapers down the years, most notably Gunner B and Al Flora and Peter joins me on the line now. Um, 
Peter, first, we can't begin without paying tribute to your father, David, who who died um, last month. He He's left a, a wonderful legacy, not just for you, but for, for all of us in national hunt racing and breeding. Yeah, he started the stud, um, so you could say I've got him to blame for all this. Um, yeah, he, he always had a good eye for a horse, um, and it's been a been a great journey. And, and certainly, um, where we are today um, is largely due to him uh, and uh, what he started. And so, as I said, he started fifty um, odd years ago. Shado, what what made him start? What was his what was his impetus and his his background to do it? The impetus was we had foot and mouth. We were a dairy farmer, and we had foot and mouth in '67. And he lost his pedigree herd. Um, and he never really had the enthusiasm to, to, to carry on with what wasn't as good as what he had. So uh, he, he looked to change. And as a young boy, he'd always ridden um, uh, a lot. And in fact, he was known for riding pretty well anything. Yeah, he could sit it. Um, as a young man, he, he sort of um, he did a lot of show jumping, and then he ventured into um, a bit of point to pointing, and um, he managed to ride a Cheltenham in the Fox Hunters. Um, but sadly, he was a big man, and, and the, he couldn't make the weight, and um, that was his his grounding. Um, and then um, it made sense to look in that direction. You know, when we were looking for something else to do. What was the national hunt breeding landscape like in the mid 70s in in britain i mean you you'd just about be able to remember that uh well i know it's extremely hard to break into um i think there was a lot more smaller studs throughout the countryside um getting that toehold into it um was extremely difficult and um it, it took gonna be to, to break through into to get the recognition um, um, and to attract sort of better quality mares. Um, so I, I do remember that, um, if you like, sort of bubbling along with, with small point-to-point um, point breeders in the main. Um, I also remember that the stallions in those days, they weren't as, they weren't as high-quality horses. Um, they were mainly handicappers, three horses. So it has changed quite a lot. Well, I, I remember down down the road there was Gene Broad's Emerald Stud, and they had sort of precipice wood Brockstead and things like that. And obviously, the the, the big stud at the time was uh, Scarlet Robert Nipes, and the Celtic Cones um, was there. Um, they, they had they had Alderbrook, didn't they? And um, Ardross went there, I think, after that. So, uh, boy, you're, you're texting me. Um, yeah. And did you did you you had Rhymer, didn't you? Did you have Rhymer? Yeah, Rhymer was the second stallion. Uh, Pamroy started the stud in 73. Rhymer came in after that. Uh, and then there was a procession of, of, of stallions. Um, I think Gonna Be arrived here in as a 16-year-old stallion. And he, he, as you say, he was the first horse who really began to form a, a bit of a legacy and really started to to build your stud to, to what it is today. Sire of the Grand National, what a red marauder, but but so many more. Um he he was a bit special, gonna be, wasn't he? Just tell me why. Uh, he he was special for his longevity, but to us, um, he he was already sort of considered uh, a wavering flat stallion. He was exported to Germany. Um, the year that we brought him back, fortunately, he, he sired um, Royal Gate, which won the champion hurdle. Um, and then a multitude of winners came through as well. Um, they were just so tough, so tough and genuine. Um, you know, uh, 
we owe so much. He, he lived till he was 30 years old and he was still covering mares at 29. He was, he was, he was unbelievable. The, the other thing he, he provided for you, Peter, was a, 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 as a, a brilliant broodmare sire. And, and you, you covered so many of, of his daughters with your, your next great success story, Al Flora, a, a very good miler for, for Clive Britton, big imposing horse. Could you ever have imagined that he, he could do what he did, end up covering 300 mares a season? No, no, not not at the time. I mean, it, it, whilst it's true to say Al Flora took on the mantle, he, he would have been nothing without going to be laying the platform. Um, and it is a it is a procession that 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 uh, establishes the stud. Um, so so he, he did reap the rewards of what going to be laid. Um, the owners that, that are going to be found for us um, were, were sort of the foundation for his stud career. Um, so yeah, he was a lovely, imposing big horse, and he, he he renowned for getting himself some big chasing types. Um, and certainly, we now have his mad, which are now funding the, the 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 new stallions we have here now. And talking about the the successor to to Al Flora, it's something you've been desperately trying to find for for so many years. Black Sam Bellamy filled the void admirably, and with some very high class performers. Um, for for several seasons, but now you've got uh, Logician Telescope and Dartmouth, who raced in the Royal Colours. Um, of those three, which in your heart of hearts, as a stockman, as someone who's looked at jump stallions over the years, do you believe could could really put Shade Oak back where it needs to be? Ooh, it's difficult without wishing to damn the others, but to me, it's Logician has all the components. And it's, it's so rare when you when you find a stallion that they seemingly have everything. Um, he has size, he has the scope, he has a gorgeous walk, um, he has a a very strong pedigree, and himself he was a talented, you know, Group One Classic win um, son. So he seemingly has everything. Um, and for me, the anticipation and waiting for his falls is is. The driving force pushing me into another year, if you see what I mean. Um, hoping that they look like him. I, I, I think that he has all the components, logician. I, 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 you know, for my point, I don't think I'd change him. Um, I look at the him as, as, a, as, a, as a physical specimen, and he goes so much to what my dad told me, you know, in what to look for. And what what were those words, Peter? What were the what were the words of wisdom that you'll always carry with you? Well, Dad was a, a sort of old fashioned in many ways. Um, he he uh, he always loved a long foreleg. Um, there certainly the magician has what I call a lovely short cannon, plenty of bone. You know, he has great depth in his chest. Uh, my dad would always say, you know, hocks on the floor. Um, and then he's got a lovely swagger to his walk. And and to me, you know, I spend a lot of time actually looking through stallion books and old the old stallion books. And and to me, we've refined the bee to such a length now that we've lost a lot of those old those proper build qualities. And I do feel that logician has that old fashioned build quality to him. I wish you all the best, Peter. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Okay. Thank. You. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you to uh, Peter Hocknell. Uh, Jane Mangan is still with me. Jane has got the time it takes for me to read out the next bit of news to work out how she's going to f- um, 
fashion some sort of betting advice for you today. Uh, this is reported by the, the Thoroughbred Daily News, but they're reporting it from the Jour de Gallo. So I'm doing really well here. It's completely third hand, but it's important nonetheless to pass it on. Uh, France Gallo has voted to sell Maison Lafitte Racecourse to a public land establishment in the town for 7.15 million euros um, in a meeting on Monday. That was according to Jour de Gallo. They haven't been in operation since November 2019. Now, this is the interesting bit. The sale price stipulates that if the land is reused for the development of non-equestrian spaces at any time over the next 20 years, France Gallo will be due a supplemental fee. And there's discussions between France Gallo and the town for an eventual return of racing. So it's a it's a bit of a win-win either way for France Gallo because they could get racing back there uh, at least for the next 20 years. And if they don't in the next 20 years, then there's a covenant placed on the land to go back to the sport. So um, at least at least there is there is some upside, even if racing doesn't return to Maison Lafitte. I've surely given you enough time, Jane, to come up with something now. All of those ramblings, and I'm going to go back to a horse that I mentioned earlier in the programme, and that's the Galloping Bear. They'll run a 20-runner field in the Welsh National, the maximum of 20. And at the moment, the Galloping Bear for Ben Clark sneaks in at the very, very bottom. So I think he could be very effective off a very bottom, uh, off the bottom mark of 140. And that is the Galloping Bear to gallop him into submission in See, the Welsh National Championship. You've, like, you've done all this thing about uh, all showing all your working, bottom weight, yada, yada, etc. But earlier in the show, you said some shrewdy told you the Galloping Bear was going to win. So that yeah, was the real, and, and, yeah. and, and that and and that truly has my respect. So here we are. Okay, uh, the galloping bear, of course, was the horse that was um, famously disqualified after a failing a, a dope test. We spoke about it on the podcast a few weeks ago in that um, Haydock Park, big Haydock Park staying chase back earlier in the year that that uh, that, that was going to be Ben Clark's biggest winner by far. So uh, there would be added keenness on the part of the trainer to to get some recompense for that. Jane, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, December the 13th. I will be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Goodbye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.